This is the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. It's been an extraordinary year for Bitcoin, hitting an all-time high above $63,000 in April and has since dropped nearly a third from that level. Though it's bounced fairly aggressively from its recent lows of $35,000, today it was trading at about $40,000. Most of the selling has come from newcomers to Bitcoin who are unaccustomed to the kind of volatility that comes with the territory. Here's a primer for those new to the space. After Bitcoin hit a previous all-time high of $20,000 in 2017, it fell 84% over the next year. So a 31% drop in price such as we've seen in the last few weeks is nothing exceptional. Marius Ritz, Africa GM for Luno, recently put out an article addressing some of the myths and misconceptions about Bitcoin, and he joins us now to discuss some of these. Marius, first of all, welcome to MoneyWeb Crypto. Let's just pick up on that point first of all. Who are the people that are selling at the moment? What is driving this recent drop in Bitcoin? Hi, Kieran. Thanks for the opportunity again. Um, yeah, so Bitcoin you know, has been flirted with the $60,000 level recently. But pulled back sharply after Elon Musk's sudden Bitcoin U-turn last week, Wednesday. We also saw news, uh, some of the, the national publications around China's uh, China banning. By the way, that's old news. That's news from 2017, 2018. That's that's resurfaced. If we look at the the profile of the the, the buyer, or the speculator, or investor that's driving this this pullback, it's mainly retail retail buyers and. Um, it's a new class of investors across emerging markets, perhaps investors that only hold crypto assets, no other uh, investments. And they use their or they do their research by looking at online information. So if someone like Elon Musk puts out a tweet saying that they're not going to accept crypto as a means of payment at, at Tesla, that catches the intention of retail investors. If China banning crypto features on Bloomberg and Reuters, then that grabs the attention of, of retail investors. And because of the fear they sell, um, and as the price drops, there's a fear that it can go lower and lower. And that has been the main driver of this, this market correction. As we know, we've experienced many of these ups and downs and ups and downs over the, the last 10 or so years. It's been an ongoing theme for the cryptocurrency, for Bitcoin and the, the entire market over the last couple of years. Indeed. I mean, blockchain research house Glassnode actually put out some research this week just explaining that it was the, the newcomers to Bitcoin, people who haven't been in this market for very long, who were the main sellers. They just got panicked and they got panicked by Elon Musk and also this news out of China, that China, as you say, this old news from 2017 trying to ban uh, cryptocurrencies. I think what they're really trying to do is uh, stop the relationship between the banking sector and, and crypto miners. But let's just talk about uh, some of these misconceptions. This article that you put out recently, that there are misconceptions and myths around Bitcoin. And let's address a few of those. What about this one, that Bitcoin has no intrinsic value? It does not generate a dividend or any return other than what people are prepared to pay for it. So answer that question, does Bitcoin have any intrinsic value? Kieran, I think the, the answer to this question lies in economics. So looking at scarcity, utility, and then also the supply and demand dynamics. If something is both useful and, and scarce, um, it will demand value and, and, and also a price. So if it can be used for something, then people will want it. And the price then is just an indication of what people are willing to pay for it. So if we take gold, for example, Put simply, it's relatively expensive because it is rare. It's a rare metal. 
um, it's hard to find and it's a limited supply. So there's a there's a, an element of scarcity to gold. But gold has some uses to which consumers derive satisfaction from. So jewelry, for example, is one. So if we look at Bitcoin, similar to gold, Bitcoin is, is, is scarce. It's a scarce digital asset, the first ever scarce digital asset. So its supply is limited. It is on a deflationary supply curve. And But for, for Bitcoin to have any value, it must also be useful. It can't only be scarce. So Bitcoin creates utility in a number of ways. Firstly, it has value as a payment system. So many people, especially in developing markets, don't have the same access to, to payment mechanisms, to banking, credit cards, and so on. And for crypto, you don't need a bank account to open a Bitcoin wallet. You only need an internet connection. So from a payments perspective, uh, maybe not... Uh, across across the world, most people don't willingly at this point use Bitcoin for payments. Not all businesses accept Bitcoin for payments, but there is a use. And today already, even with limited adoption from a payments perspective, there are already thousands of merchants around the world accepting Bitcoin as a means of payment. Um, and you know, if more businesses accept Bitcoin as a means of payment, then people buy into um, then inherently people will buy into Bitcoin as a store of value as well. So maybe it's it's to some degree, but like investing in Visa or Mastercard in the public markets um, or through a stock exchange. So you know, you, you you buy the Visa share, and then imagine you're able to use that Visa that Visa share um, or that public listed share to buy Coke from a local shop to pay for goods online. The more people that use their visa shares for transactions, the more the more valuable the visa payment network becomes, and indirectly or directly should have an impact on the Bitcoin price as well, on the visa stock price as well. So, it's about utility, um, scarcity, I and mean, then supply and demand is a factor of that. It's quite interesting that you bring up that point about uh, using Visa shares as a means of payment. Of course, that is coming with blockchain development and decentralized finance, where you're actually going to have tokenized shares or partial ownership of shares, where you can very quickly convert uh, something that can be securitized like a share into a fiat currency like the rand or the dollar and use that as a means of payment. Isn't that correct? Yeah, absolutely correct. Um, I think the world is is moving on. Um, we we have stable coins. Stable coin that's a, a currency that's linked to uh, a real world asset or a real world currency. And the main purpose of that is to to use it as a means of payment without having to worry about price volatility. So we've seen companies like Visa and and Mastercard with robust roadmaps uh, in terms of how they want to utilize technologies, decentralized cryptocurrencies in their products. So I think. We should see them roll out new features over the next couple of years or so. All right. Here's another myth that I think we should address. The volatility of Bitcoin is so wild, and we've just been reminded of that in the last week. It's so wild that you cannot take it seriously as an investment. Correct or incorrect? Yeah, so, so Bitcoin's price is notoriously volatile. Um, over the years, we have witnessed huge swings, both up and down, uh, in, in the space of days or hours, as we've experienced yesterday. Um, and it, it's obviously very, very daunting, especially to first-time buyers or, or investors in the market. Um, but we also know that the more volatile or volatile the price of an asset is, the more risk you take on by putting your money in it. And then obviously, on the other side as well, the higher the potential return is. But with crypto, it's, it's very tricky to draw parallel comparisons because there's nothing really like Bitcoin out there at this point. But the Bitcoin market is still relatively small. Um, meaning it's it's likely to be more affected by everyday news events and factors. So the crypto market is impacted, um, the price is impacted by many of the same 
factors that would typically impact the traditional financial market. So if there's a political event, if there's a trade war, if there's a major regulator or, or reserve bank, um, like the Fed, for example, announcing a very important decision that impacts global markets and can also impact the Bitcoin market. So many of the same factors, but because the Bitcoin market cap is much smaller than that of, for example, gold. So the current Bitcoin market cap sits around 800 billion US dollar in comparison to gold, which has a market cap of around 10 or 11 trillion US dollars. So it's gold is a lot more established and mature as a, as a market and as a result, less volatile as well. So with, with crypto, Certain investors might say that they have a risk appetite for this new technology. They think there's a chance that Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies can, and the underlying technology, which is blockchain, can play an important role in the future of finance. They attach a dollar price to it, they invest in it, and they take the position for the long run. Um, so I think it comes down to doing your own research, avoiding acting on emotion, um, you need to make a decision whether you want to speculate in the short run. If you speculate in the short run, then you take on that risk that the price can move against you. And if you invest in the long run, you take a step back, um, you take a longer term view of the market, then these short-term price fluctuations should not really um, have any impact on your investment strategy, your crypto investment strategy. So, but um, you know, whatever the price charts say, companies like Luno are working behind the scenes uh, to help Bitcoin's adoption and, and to ensure you know, it matters in the long run. I mean, on that point, have you noticed at Luno that there's been a, an increase in the number of long-term holders? I mean, we saw this in 2017. The price was driven up fantastically. It went parabolic there in December 2017, driven by retail investors. And then 2018, it fell by 84%. Again, it was retail investors that were selling out. But the research coming out now suggests that the uh, people who've been around in this market for several years have become long-term holders. They're not selling. I mean, you look at Michael Saylor from MicroStrategy. He recently bought several hundred million dollars worth of Bitcoin at $55,000. He doesn't care what the price is. He's just converting his cash into Bitcoin as fast as he can, no matter what Elon Musk says. Are you finding the same sort of thing at Luna, more long-term holders? Here in yes, we're definitely seeing more long-term holders. We're seeing more customers setting up repeat buys. So at, on a monthly basis, around payday, they deposit X amount of, of, of rand onto Luna to buy crypto. And they've got a strategy. So a lot of people execute buys in, in certain intervals. So 2017, we saw a lot of people buying and selling continuously. It's a lot of daily active customers. And a lot of people checking the price of Bitcoin on the Luna app. So a lot of people refreshing the price page 100 times a day. Uh, because they're curious. We're seeing less of that to a certain extent. And we're also seeing globally, not on Luna only, but globally, more people moving their Bitcoin away from exchanges to private wallets. And, and that is an indication of holders. So if you move your crypto from a private wallet to an exchange, that means that you're going to liquidate your investment. You're going to sell out for, for, um, for fiat currency. But the inverse is happening. So we're seeing people moving the crypto to their private wallets. And that indicates to us that these people are planning on holding onto their crypto um, for the long run. So there is a shift. I'm not sure if it's too early to say we're seeing more sophisticated crypto investors. Um, I think perhaps it's uh, traditional investors, investors that would traditionally buy gold or hold gold as a safe haven asset. And maybe they also now allocate 1% or 2% of the, um, the assets to crypto in addition to gold. 
I think that's more likely the case. But I think you know, it's probably still a little bit too early to, to, to deem crypto as a safe haven, maybe a more emerging safe haven, as, if you will. Right. And of course, there could be another reason as well why people are holding on. They don't want to create a tax event because if they sell the Bitcoin and they try to cash out, that is going to create a tax event. They'll have to report that to SARS. By holding on, uh, they become long-term investors. They do not have the same problem. Okay. Now, here's another myth. Bitcoin is used by criminals. So that's a common one that comes up and it's an objection that has been raised again and again over the years. Cash is also used by criminals though, isn't it? Yeah, correct. <laughs> now, I think traditional financing methods continue to present the most significant terrorist financing risks. Um, but in the minds of many people, Bitcoin is linked to drugs and, and only and money laundering and only bad things. And this is to a large degree incorrect connection that, that slows down the adoption it, um, and then also is off-putting for banks. There's this perception and then also emotion, and emotion most of the time drives these concerns and, and not facts and data. So I think firstly they have to acknowledge there are risks surrounding Bitcoin. All financial systems carry risk. Um, but the more important question is if these are worth the benefits. So if we look at terrorists and money launderers, they use Facebook, they use Twitter and WhatsApp to communicate and to coordinate every single day. But despite all these issues and the dangers it poses, does society make an effort to try and ban the internet? No, um, because simply the, the positives to society outweigh the negatives. So there will always be risks. Um, if you look at banks, banks customers are already doing the same bad things just at a much, much grander scale. And that same customers that people allege use crypto for terrorist activities, they operate in the normal banking system as well. And when they buy drugs, with cash today, that cash they get from ATMs and they deposit cash into ATMs. So um, we also suspect that some money launderers might have started using crypto a long time ago before having uh, an understanding of how it works. But um, I think many of them realize now that it's not actually the best way to go about their business. There's a whole new uh, range of tools available to get more accurate data on the legal um, activity in the Bitcoin economy. For example, Chainalysis, which is a crypto blockchain analysis tool um, and exchanges such as Luna use chain analysis to monitor transactions. And they released their annual report um, on the state of crypto crime. And between from 2019 to 2020, um, the, the percentage of flows that they deemed as illicit reduced from 2% to 0.34%. And if you look at SA's exposure, you will see that that's mostly as a result of the old-fashioned Ponzi scheme, not necessarily the laundering of money. So there are, I think, you know, for a financial system that's still so new and so small, it has actually made a lot of strides and in, in building tools and, and data to help the industry to self-regulate. So, so that's the ability to scan payments or uh, review payments to sanctioned countries, ability to block payments, crypto payments that's linked to terrorist financing and, and known scams. And I think the reality is that Bitcoin isn't going away. So we might as well start dealing with it constructively. Yeah, the chain analysis, the company that you mentioned, of course, they brought out a report earlier this year saying that the biggest scam using cryptos over the last year was, in fact, Mirror Trading International, our very own homegrown South African Ponzi scheme, and um, which is now, of course, in, uh, in provisional liquidation. Now, 
Here's another one. Should we be worried that Bitcoin has dropped so sharply over the last week? And what does history tell us about this? You touched on this a little bit earlier. This is a movie that we've all seen before, that Bitcoin just goes parabolic and then there's a crash. It looks like it's all over. I remember, you know, 2018 people thinking this is going to zero. Of course it didn't. It went pretty low, but then it just reversed and and hit new all-time highs. What does history tell us about all of this? Kieran, I think simply the history tells us that, that we've been through 14 or 15 or so of these cycles over the last 10 years. The positive is that each time we end up with higher lows and after each cycle, we end up with more users or more people using cryptocurrency or that own cryptocurrency. So it's, it's, it's really been an ongoing theme for the market, but it always ends up or the market always ends up in a stronger position. And as we discussed um, earlier, the recent pullback is linked to emotional behavior. So retail investors, a new class of investors, uh, investing for the first time using online resources, um, and that's very easily influenced by influencers such as Elon Musk and, and, and other news events uh, in the media. So these investors fear that the price will keep dropping, they're uncertain, and then they sell their Bitcoin. So for the first time buyer, it, it is obviously very, very scary when the price drops. 25, 30% in a single day. Um, but you know, as I said earlier, the Bitcoin market is still tiny in relation to traditional assets or commodities such as gold. So the volatility isn't the isn't magic of the market. You know, the market will grow. And as um, liquidity improves and as we get more market acceptance and there's that critical mass of buyers and sellers, the volatility should become less in future. So I think in some ways there's a lesson in this to a lot of new investors. And that is that the price isn't guaranteed to only go up or always go up. It will uh, and it can come down too as well as we've, as we've witnessed just now. Right. And of course, it can go sideways for many, many months before it does anything either going up or down from that point. Absolutely. And we saw that during 20, for most of 2020. So uh, initially, March when lockdown was instead in most of the markets around the world, the Bitcoin price dropped, dropped alongside most of the other financial markets. Um, then from there, we saw steady recovery and the price moved sideways for, for most of the year. So the volatility during that period actually reduced to 3 or to 4% on average over a seven-day period. So that's obviously gone up again. But if you look at the volatility, the average seven-day volatility and 30-day volatility, if you compare that from 20, you know, 2011, 12, 13, 317 to 2020, and we take a step back and zoom out, you will actually see that the volatility has come down slightly. And hopefully with increased adoption, adoption and market acceptance, um, it should, it should you know, become less volatile in future as well. Right. Talk about Ethereum as well, because that's another coin that you, you do offer on Luna. Is Bitcoin the, the main coin, the most attractive coin for people to invest in? And how many people are going into Ethereum? Do they understand it? Because Ethereum did drop even more severely than Bitcoin over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. So Bitcoin is still the, the, the default cryptocurrency for, for most first-time first time buyers, Kieran. So um, it's the cryptocurrency that's, I think, most widely understood. It's the cryptocurrency with the best and the longest track record. Um, and it's the cryptocurrency that for the average guy on the street is the reference point to crypto. So it's the, it's the reserve cryptocurrency of all cryptos. So it's the entry point for most, most customers. On Lino, we see way more Bitcoin wallets than Ethereum wallets. And if you're looking at a metric like 
um, trading volume, you will see that Bitcoin has a much, much bigger um, trading volume compared to Ethereum as well. But we've seen more customers activate Ethereum wallets over the last 12 months. Of course, Ethereum mostly, uh, to a large extent, powers the, the decentralized finance market. Um, so, uh, for example, it, it makes it possible for, for, for people to access loans. So, put on Ethereum as collateral to, to access, to access, uh, to access funding. And so some of the more savvy uh, buyers of cryptocurrencies have noticed, noticed this opportunity. And it's also starting to filter through to South Africa, where we have seen more customers activating Ethereum wallets than compared to 12 months ago. All right, Marius, final question. Uh, are you seeing at these low prices that the buyers are coming back in? Or is it gone a little bit inactive for the time being? Karen, I think the price did um, the price did recover slightly since the the lows we saw two days ago or, or yesterday. So we have seen some buying, um, as we saw in the media, uh, MicroStrategy purchased additional Bitcoin. Um, I think from an institutional perspective, you will see some of the institutions taking in uh, more positions from a retail perspective. You know, you of course also have a lot of longer-term investors. Some of those investors have signaled that they will uh, that they're okay or they're willing to enter the market at these prices. But I think if we look at the the, the majority of customers, I think they will at this point at least follow a wait and see approach. I think the the Bitcoin price was very very high. The market was propped up by retail buyers by social media and by by the media at large um and i think to some degree obviously a lot of people incurred losses but to some to some degree this probably was a healthy correction and it's one that we could have should have anticipated actually so i think given a, a mixture uh, but i think the average the average buyer or customer on luna will follow a wait and see approach um, at, at these levels all right, Marius Reitz, Africa General Manager for Luna. We'll leave it at that. And thanks for talking to us about some of the myths and misconceptions about Bitcoin. Thanks very much, Kieran. Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.